I'm Larry Morrow, and this is Take Two, the radio program that looks inside a person's adventure, not so much from the outside in, but the inside out. In the next 30 minutes, you will discover the inward joy of their heart that married them to the passion of their life and the affirmation of ideals that directed their success. train of thought, traveling through the shadows of time to an era of life and music never to be forgotten. Travel with Norman Knight on the night train as it silhouettes and reflects the memories of the good life. Ladies and gentlemen, Norman Knight and the magic Saturday night all request and dedication show. So who's on the telephone? This is Marie from Mentor. Marie from Mentor. Well, Marie, what can I do for you? I'd like to hear Little Darling tonight. And could I dedicate it to all the workers at Rainbow Babies and Children? You certainly may. Okay. Well, here's your song for them on Magic 105.7. Thanks, Thanks for calling, so Marie. Thanks so much. All right. Everything we do is for you. There is a, a new book out which those of us who in the business of radio and music, not only here, but around America and the world, can hardly wait to read. The book is called The House That Rock Built by well-known and respected Cleveland and New York broadcaster turned writer Norm Knight with well-known former plane dealer writer and good pal Tom Farron. And the forwarder was done by uh, Stevie Van Zandt. On the other end of my line is old broadcast pal and friend Norm Knight, the author of the new book, The House That Rock Built. Welcome, Norm. How are you these days? I'm terrific. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to do this. Of all the years that we've known each other, we've not done this, so here we go. Here we go. Norm, before we get into the book, The House That Rock Built, let's go back to the beginning. You were born and raised here in Cleveland, right? Correct. And I can remember when we were on the air together, you on WGAR and Magic, while I was on 3WE, then off you went to the big city of New York. Most announcers only dream of a call like that. You've been on uh, a long, successful journey. Tell me about it, Norm. Let's go back to the beginning, okay? Well, uh, I always had a dream of being in New York City, and uh, it was while I was working in Cleveland that I thought, how am I going to be able to get there? And uh, I used to do a lot of interviews with a lot of different performers. I'd go around and I put together a little show called uh, Honor Roll of Hits that I offered to some radio stations back in 1970. Uh, I had about 10 stations that were doing it. And then I went and uh, figured, how am I going to get to New York? Well, I started peddling the show to stations in Philadelphia and other places. And I called them up in Philadelphia and I asked them, I said, listen, I have this show and I'd like for you to be able to run it. It's called the uh, Honor Roll of Hits. And the program director there said, um, his name is John Guerin, he said, well, I'm going to New York. I'm leaving Philadelphia. So I said, can I call you in New York? And he said, sure. 
and I called him and I and I noticed that little Richard was going to headline a show at uh, at in New York City. And I and I said, I have a show on little Richard. I said, I'll put the show together and I'll offer it to you and you can run it one time. If you like the show, then you can uh, buy the other shows. And if you don't like it, it's just one time. So he sent me a check. Small check, and I, with that, I, I wanted to hear how the show would sign a sound on the air. So I hopped a plane, went to New York City. The show ran on a Thursday night. I checked myself into a hotel, sat in a room at 10 o'clock and listened to the show. And then I, the next day, called the program director, John Guerin. I said I was in town, and he said, I can't believe it. You're in town. Come by the station. I came by the station. And he said, uh, listen, one of our guys is going on vacation next week. Would you be able to do his vacation show? <laughs> sure. I called up and I, and I got a vacation, uh, took some vacation time. After two nights on the air, the program director offered me the show. And, wow. and so because of Little Richard, I got to New York City. <laughs> and I, I've got a picture of, of you with, uh, little, with little Richard. He had he had five times the hair that you had at that time. <laughs> oh yeah, he was he, he was he was he was a delightful person. I had a chance to interview him on several occasions, and uh, you know, but like, but again, it's ironic how how you and another thing too. The interesting thing is when I got there to New York, and I started being on the air, I was interviewed by a, a writer from the New York Daily News, Val Adams, and he was asking me about my background and career, and then he said to me, he said. Is there anything else that you're doing? And I said, well, I'm working on a book on rock and roll. Really, I, I just collected some notes. I had no idea. It was just a passing thought, I said. And then all of a sudden, um, he, he printed it in the Daily News, and there was a, an editor out there, Jay Acton, from Publishing House. He called me up. He said, what's this thing about a book that you're doing? And I said, well, I didn't have a book. But I said, yes, I have one. So can we have lunch? We had lunch, and he said, well, I'd like to be able to publish this book. And we had no title for the book at that time or anything, and we signed the contract, and the book came out in November of 1974 called Rock On, and that became the first, became the first of a series of books I wound up doing. But the interesting thing is, had he not asked that question, by the way, is there anything else you're doing, and had I not said, oh, yeah, I'm working on a book on rock and roll, so you never know. You know, it's just a little passing thought mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it happens yeah well you've written seven rock on books and almanacs which which by the way I, I use daily on my morning show no there's been eight publications in this book now the new one is the ninth there's been eight publications. there's gonna be nine for you well you you may or may not remember but those of us in the business and i was your biggest fan of your rock on books <laughs> we used it daily because you had the songs the movies the tv shows an interesting memorabilia that I could use for almost every song I played. And so I owe you much of my success, Norm Knight, when my audience would think, look at all the homework I did, but it was all from your books. <laughs> so, thank you, thank you, thank you. And they were wonderful. And as you know, I was on the air in Cleveland when all of this was going on regarding your new book. And I knew all the players, but I had no idea what specifically you were doing behind the scenes to make it all happen. You obviously took time and money, music moguls, corporate types, politicians, 
media, artists, and fans to bring the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to Cleveland. So, you know, Norman, it would be fascinating to take us back to your thoughts about having the Rock Hall in Cleveland and then on to your journey to New York. Okay? Can you share that with us? Well, you know, um, I had the thought about this way back in 1982. I talked to the late Hank LaConte here in Cleveland and Dick Clark, who wrote the introduction for my first book about possibly because we all knew the, the, how important Cleveland was. I mean, back in 82, we talked about possibly building a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, Ohio, but it never came to fruition, mainly because Dick was busy, I was busy, Hank was busy, so it just fell by the wayside. But in New York, I, I, was, I was telling a lot of people in New York about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and after I did an oldie show at Radio City Music called in March of 82, uh, there became some people who became interested. In fact, I had friends of mine at NBC, uh, a buddy of mine who was producing the Tom Snyder Tomorrow Show by the name of Bruce McKay. And Bruce um, had a buddy who was an attorney for CBS, Sandy Fisher. And we put together a proposal and we presented to my radio station, CBS FM, about uh, the idea of doing a, a show. Uh, and featuring the, the the rock and roll music and performers and, and, and maybe trying to get some light shed on Cleveland at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But again, we had a lot of ideas and a lot of things happened, but nothing, nothing never happened with any of that. And, and going back a little, the very first national television show I did was on January 22nd, 1968 in Philadelphia, the Mike Douglas show. And Mike had his <laughs> co-host. Bobby Daring. So he had him on the show, and I was on there with uh, Leslie Gore, where I met her, and Guy Marks. And, and we, we had a good conversation, Leslie and I, and, and we kept in touch. And then when I came to New York in March of 73, uh, we, I, I had her on my show numerous times. And then it was on August 2nd, 1983, that I got a call from Leslie about attending a meeting about building a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I thought, well, all right, I'll do that. And then on Wednesday, August 10th, 1983, on East 28th in Manhattan, in an a, a, a apartment building there, I had a meeting with, uh, Leslie wasn't there, but we had some people from Radio City Music Hall and some singers and everything. And a very important attorney by the name of Susan Evans. I looked around in the group and I thought, I know they want to build a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. I really don't think it's ever going to happen. So... I went to a few more meetings and I was ready to bow out when in January of 84, I got a call from uh, Susan Evans that uh, Seymour Stein, who was the president of Sire Records, they put together a rules and nominating committee and they wanted me to attend uh, their first meeting. And I did. And, and when, I, when I went into the room and I saw the people that were there, I mean, you had my goodness, Seymour Stein, uh, uh, Jan Wenner, uh, Irving Azoff, uh, uh, some of the, John Hammond, uh, some of these major, 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 major people. And, 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 and I said to myself, it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing that these people are uh, wanting to put together a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So what I did was uh, I, st I stayed with them. And we were working for the next couple of years talking about building a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but mostly about planning a, the, a, the, the, first, uh, the very first time to be able to do a show uh, for induction ceremony at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 
So what happened was that back here in Cleveland, a lot of people started thinking about building a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1985, and Hank Licconti, uh contacted me and said, listen, we'd like you to fly into Cleveland and talk about uh, the idea about being able to build a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame here in Cleveland. And I came into Cleveland, and I went to a meeting that we had in uh, May of 1985, and Jules Belkin was there, and ha Hank Licati, of course, and, and that's the first time that I had a chance to meet uh, Mike Benz and mm -hmm. some of the other people, and uh, Bill Bryant and uh, Bill Smith of WMMS Radio, and, and we talked about the idea, and they asked me, they said, could you talk to Ahmet Erdogan, the president of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in New York, the foundation, about considering Cleveland for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I said I would. And what I did was uh, I flew back to New York. I called up Ahmed. I went to his office. I went in there, and I, we were talking, and I said, would you consider Cleveland for the site for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And he said, absolutely not, because we have a place picked out on 42nd Street that Mayor Koch is going to give us a brownstone. We're just going to do celebrations every year and maybe hang a couple of plaques on the wall. And I said, Ahmed, you know, and if I had said thank you for your time and shook his hand and walked out the door, there's where the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is. But what I did is I, I stood up and I said, well, you got to consider Cleveland's a neutral city. Uh, Alan Freed, first rock and roll concert, Moondog Coronation Ball, convenient, located. I must have hit the right button because at that time he called out to Susan Evans in the outer offices. And when's our next meeting? She said July 18th. So I flew back to Cleveland he said, because he said, put the Norman's name on there with his group. I flew back to Cleveland and I said, I got your foot in the door. Uh, you're going to have a meeting. And they said, well, we don't know these people. you got to work with us. I said, you're kidding. I, I, you know, so I had to fly back every single week until July 18th. And then July 18th, the whole group uh, boarded a plane. Uh, George Voinovich, Jules Belkin, Bill Bryant, Dale Finley, George Miller, Carl Hirsch, Mike Benz. And walked into the room, and there was Ahmed Erdogan, Seymour Stein, Bob Krasnow, Jan Wenner, Les Garland, John Hammond, Susan Evans, Noreen Woods, all these people. I, I was the unofficial uh, person to introduce everybody because I knew both sides. So I became like the unofficial liaison. And uh, they put together their presentation. Ahmed Erdogan got up. He applauded how great it was. And uh, one of the, I'll never forget that. Uh, Susan Evans received a note from uh, from uh, Noreen Woods, and it says, pack your bags, we're going to Cleveland. So the point of all of this is this, that uh, had it not been for Leslie Gore calling me on that uh, August 2nd, 1983, for this meeting, uh, that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame would never be in Cleveland, period. And I just want her to get the recognition she deserves. So... Because of Leslie Gore, we have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, Ohio. Well, it's a fascinating story. I, you know, I remember when you took uh, some. You've mentioned some of the important people already. Dick Kelso, who was, at that time was the chairman of East Ohio Gas Company. Milt Maltz with MMS. Then you took Mike Benz. He was uh, the chairman of United Way. Tim LaRose, um, the Belkins, Bill Bryant at that time. I can't remember his position. But then Carl Hirsch, and of course, to make it even wonderful, rather than use your voice or mine, you use Gallardi, Ernie Anderson, to make the presentation. Absolutely. And, and it, it, 
And was there a better recognized voice from Cleveland in America than Ernie? Right. He, 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 and, and he did it uh, for nothing. You know, it, it was just absolutely amazing how uh, so many people, had, and, you know, and, and, and when people started really being serious about it, because once the word got out that there, Cleveland was being considered, then all the other stations, uh, cities around the country jumped in and they wanted to be a part of this. And they said, you know, uh, we should uh, make a pitch for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as well. And that's when it became very, very difficult. And the one thing that really swayed it really was the was the money issue. Because Cleveland, yeah. Pat Sweeney, uh, uh, Rosemary O'Carr, all these people, they, they, they found the funding to make it happen. And that's that's why it, it, it occurred that uh, Cleveland got the, the inside track. And, and then finally, after all those years, uh, May 5th of 1986, it was so interesting that uh, Cleveland got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when the bomb had announced it. And it was, it was kind of interesting for me. I'll tell you why. Because back in 1968, I got together with a bunch of friends of mine. We wanted to be entrepreneurs, and we wanted to do a, an oldie show. And uh, so I got together with about 10 of my buddies, and we knew nothing about it. And uh, we went and booked the Cleveland Arena for a Sunday, May 5th, 1968. And I got uh, Chuck Berry, Fat Domino, the Shirelles, and the Coasters, all of them eventually being into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for, for $7,500, all of them. And they all were coming to Cleveland for I Remember Rock and Roll. That was the name of the show. Well, unfortunately, not too many people remembered rock and roll because on that Sunday, Cleveland Arena, which would hold about 10,000 people, we now went out. We had about 1,100 people show up. And, and I'll never forget that evening simply because um, Chuck Berry was going to go on, 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 on next Fats Domino's band was all there, but Fats was still in New York. I got a call at the box office. Fats Domino was calling from New York, and he said he wouldn't be in until late. And I said, what am I going to do? So I went up to Chuck Berry, and I said, Chuck, when you go on, could you make an announcement that Fats isn't here and they're going to do a little bit longer show? He said, absolutely not. I can't do that. I can't do that. I says, really? <laughs> I said, oh, my goodness. So, so he – he was, uh, you know, Chuck Berry, very temperamental person. You got to understand. And I think he and I hit it off because he he had me as a guest at his house, and uh, at one time at Berry Park in Winsfield, Missouri. And and he's, he, I can tell you stories when he came to visit me in Cleveland. So anyway, he went up on stage. He was doing the show, and he uh, kind of looked at me pacing back and forth, knowing that I had to be able to make that announcement. But he went with his guitar in a rhythmic way. He says, there's something I want to say and come, I will then continue to play. The fat man won't be here, but I'm here for, he rhymed this whole thing. And then he did about an extra 30 minutes. And I was overwhelmed by that. The audience that were there, they were, they were pleased. They understood. Fats eventually showed up and Fats and Chuck, I took him over to my house. I'll never forget that evening because I had a piano and Fats was on a piano and Chuck was on a, sitting with a guitar. My wife made sandwiches and had some beer. And for about an hour and a half, I had the two of them playing their songs and talking and hanging out with me. And that was a, a May 5th of 1968, a memorable night. But the, the irony of all of it, even though we all lost money and we tried our one time to do a show, myself and my buddies, 
but the date was May 5th of 1968. When we got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it was May 5th of 1986. So that was like a retro, you know, that was a retribution. That was like, uh, hey, this is this is this is your payoff for what you did. So it you turned bet. out to be really nice for me. When Casey Kasem came in for the opening in uh, September of 1995, I was blessed to have him on my show for an hour, and I asked him what he thought of a popular designer, I.M. Pay's design, and he said, uh, he thought about it for a second, he says, you know, it's a compendium of his greatest hits. <laughs> and I thought that was a w wonderful thought coming from Casey Kasem on, on I.M. Pay's design of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Absolutely. And you know something, I can still hear George Voinovich's comment at the opening when he said, and I hope I have this right, if it weren't for Norm Knight's vision, and hard work, we would not have a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to celebrate. That had to swell your heart, Norman. I, I was so thrilled to hear that. I mean, I, I had no idea that uh, he would say something like that. And, and, and it, it meant a lot to me because, you know, you work very hard uh, and, and all of a sudden, you know, you just wonder if it's ever going to happen. And, and, and Larry, the, the, this whole book to me, is my love letter and homage to, uh, to the city of Cleveland because, it, you know, I, it's not about me. It's about how the city pulled together to pull this thing off and made this thing happen. You know, I pulled back the book. You pull back the curtain to get you behind the scenes to show how and why Cleveland got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But basically, it's because of so many people, the radio stations, TV stations, the broadcasters like yourself, all the others that worked very, very hard in making this thing happen. And because they were able to make the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame happen, it's a crown jewel. And now we're celebrating 25 years since it's opened. It's hard to believe. And you just want to, I just want to be able to, through the book, shine the light on the people that made this thing happen. So for, per, for perpetuity, when this book and, and the history of rock and roll and everything else is all out there, people will know and understand that, you know, if a, if it, this, this this Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has really done, it's just, just like in Seattle where they have this the Space Needle or when you have the, the in uh, Paris where you have the Eiffel Tower, or every all these signature things. Well, every time they do something about Cleveland, they always show the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And for me, anyway, the, the, the thing that pleases me is the fact that, okay, we broke ground in June of 1993. We opened up officially September 1st of 95 to the public. It was... September 2nd. It cost $92 million, but $199 million annual income impact on Northeastern Ohio. The 12 million visitors, 80% of them coming from out of town. $2 billion generated for Cleveland, Cuyahoga County, the economy. 570,000 visitors alone in 2018. $127 million annually spent by the Rock and Hall visitors. 1,800 jobs were created. So when you look at numbers like this and you say to yourself, you know, you feel very, very proud that you were able to do something for the city that you love that uh, has, has had an economic impact to the city and it made people proud of the fact that they have a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, I was thrilled to, uh, to when they finally reached the one millionth visitor, I was asked to come by and be the MC. And that was one of the real thrills of my life. And I really, truly enjoyed it. Well, the house that Rock built, the inside story and how Cleveland landed the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by Norm Knight and Tom Farron is available wherever books are sold. 
And Norm, I must tell you, you know, you and I have been pals for a long time. The greatest amount of fondness and gratitude for all of your work here in Cleveland, New York, and of course on this very special book. Take good care of yourself, my friend, and thank you for spending time with us. I also want to mention one other thing. Janet McCoska, who has been such a terrific friend, but her photographs that she supplied with to me for the book was also priceless. And I just want to shine a little light on her because she was such a delight. And you know, again, you are, you have been a true legend in Cleveland and, and people know you, they love you and everything else. We haven't had a chance to be able to spend much time together, but because of our mutual friend, Avery Friedman, we have been con connected a lot. And, and, and I just want to say that I admire your work and the things that you've done for Cleveland. And it's just an honor to be able to be on your show like this. And I thank you so much for the kind words and everything else like that. And it's just something that we're, we're proud of this city. And we want to every time look at that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and be very, very proud the fact that the role that we played in bringing this to Cleveland and so future generations could live, love, and enjoy rock and roll. All right, Norm. Love you, my friend. We'll talk again soon. Thank you yeah, so much. Rock on, Larry. Tell a friend about our new radio program. Larry Morrow's Take Two, heard Saturday morning at 9.30 on 12.20 The Word and Sunday afternoon at 2 on 14.20 The Answer. We are always looking for new stories that impact our lives in a positive way. If you have someone you would like us to interview, let me know via email at larry at larrymorrow.com. By the way, if you enjoy Larry Morrow, Take Two, Check out Larry from the Heart, the radio series airing on 1220 The Word and 1420 The Answer. 90-second stories packed with smiles designed to make you stop and think about life. And until next time, do all the good you can to everyone you can, every time you can.